All right, Matthew six eleven. We are continuing our our series in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us how to pray. So today we're going to look at uh, really the the first prayer that deals with us, or really the first prayer that deals specifically with our our needs. So Matthew six eleven should be page eight eleven in the uh, in the red pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible. And just in case you haven't been with us, we're spending the summer looking at this prayer, right? Um, because we acknowledge the fact that we need to know how to pray. Um, that, that I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray well. And prayer is crucial to the Christian life. Like if you, for instance, if, you, uh, if I claim to have a relationship with you, but we don't talk, well, that's really probably not much of a relationship, right? Um, that, that I can't claim to have a great relationship with my son, or any of my sons for that matter, uh, if, we don't, if we're not talking, okay? And so verbal communication is key to healthy relationships, right? Um, now, we can take it a step further and even say that good verbal communication is key to healthy relationships. Because there can be verbal communication that is not that is unhealthy to a good relationship, right? Uh, and if you're over the age of five, you understand what that means. That you can talk to somebody and not in a very nice way, and that's going to hurt your relationship. And so we acknowledge that, that prayer, which is basically that, a conversation with God, our conversation with God coming out of his conversation with us through the word, Prayer is our return conversation to him. And so if we're, we're limited, right? We're limited in what we can do. We're, we're limited by our own sin. And so oftentimes, our, every time really, our, prayer, our prayers are tainted by that. Our, our ability to talk to God is affected. And so we need Jesus to come along and say, you know what, here's how you pray. Right? And he starts in, in verse 5 of, Matthew 6, and says, don't pray like them, don't pray like the hypocrites, but don't pray like them either, don't pray like the pagans. Instead, pray like this, in verse 9, and then he gives us this prayer, and what we've seen in the previous weeks is is that prayer, at least in its beginning, is God-centered. That coming out of the gate, we don't begin, right, we don't approach our Father with our needs. In fact, what we approach our Father with is praise to him, adoration to him, right? We approach our Father with, we, we, we looked at three different prayers, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. All of those dealing with who God is and his glory. And what we learn from that is that prayer is first and foremost, and the Christian life is first and foremost about God's glory. But here's something we saw last week, and it's going to continue through the end of this. Because we can make the mistake of thinking, okay, so when, I, when it comes to praying, I need to stamp down my good and focus more on God's glory. And one of the points that I made last week, and I think it's crucially important to prayer, is this. That God's glory is actually your greatest good. That those two things are related. And so that really when you and I pursue anything less than God's glory... We are pursuing something less than our greatest good, right? We're choosing to drink sand instead of water, 
That's actually an image that the Bible uses, right? That when we pursue anything less than God's glory, when we pursue anything less than a God-centered life, um, then what we're choosing to do is to drink sand instead of water, okay? That God's glory and our greatest good are actually, actually go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive. They go together. And we see that in, in this fact right here, that the, the second half of this prayer, the first half deals all with God and giving praise to him. The second half deals all with us. So I'm going to start reading in verse 9, go through verse 13, and we're going to focus today on verse 11. Merlene, don't worry. We're going to get to temptation. Okay, we're going to get there in August. Let's hear God's word. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, as we approach you again, as we come into your throne room, we come in the matchless name of Jesus, and so we come humbly, but we come boldly, Father, and we come with your word in hand, and we ask that you would bless the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word. Lord, help us to understand it, what it means for our prayers. And then, Lord, change us. Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out, that we would be a people who, um, who know how to pray and who run to you for daily grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, two years ago, about a month after our youngest son was born, uh, my wife contracted pancreatitis. And if you're not, if you don't know what that is, I didn't know what that was. I don't even know what the, I didn't even know what the pancreas did before this moment, okay? What the pancreas does is it sits over here by your stomach. And it helps you digest food, right? It, it spits out chemicals that will actually break down food and get the right stuff out, okay? But here's what happens in pancreatitis. If something blocks the pancreas from doing its job, it will start eating itself. It will start digesting itself. Uh, and that's the condition, that's the disease known as pancreatitis. Um, and here's also what we did not realize that night when we went to the emergency room that if that had happened to Rebecca a hundred years ago, she would have died. But I wasn't aware—I uh, wasn't aware of that at the time, and so my attitude, and probably much like your attitude, was kind of like, "All right, well, let's just jump in the car, head up to the ER, we'll take some medicine, and all's good, right?" And so here's what that tells me about myself, and maybe about you, that I am incredibly unaware of the daily grace that keeps me alive, right? That in fact, I assume and even take advantage of the daily grace necessary uh, to make life happen and to preserve life. Uh, daily graces that could not have been assumed 100 years ago or maybe even 50 years ago. And so unless you've been, unless you've lived a long time, 
or you've had a very hard life, and even sometimes in both those cases, if you've lived a long time and if you've had a hard life, we tend to take advantage and take for granted the daily graces that keep us alive. And that's actually what we pray for in this prayer. When Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, what we're asking for is for God's daily grace to keep us alive and to keep us content. Right? To keep us alive and really to make us content. Okay? Um, and, the first, and so there's a couple of things we can learn from this. And the first one is this. God loves our physical bodies. Right? So if you're... This, this prayer has actually confused people throughout the centuries. Right? Because here's how, here's how Jesus' prayer begins. Right? We've got... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. These grand, majestic, spiritual prayers. Jesus, what do you want me to pray for next? Bread. Bread? Yeah, bread. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Hold on. After the kingdom and your will on earth as it is in heaven, you want me to ask for bread. And here's what... And actually what people have done throughout the centuries is they've seen this prayer and they've said, well, he can't have really meant bread. There must be like some super spiritual meaning behind bread, right? That he's talking about the bread of the word or the bread of communion. That's what we must be praying for here. And the truth is, no, Jesus meant bread. When he said bread, he meant bread, right? And here's why. And actually when he says bread, what he means is everything necessary for sustaining life. Okay, so not just bread, because you may hear that and go, Man, I can't even eat bread. I'm, I'm gluten-free. What Jesus, means is, what Jesus means is everything that is necessary for sustaining life. Okay? And here's what that tells us. God loves our physical bodies. In fact, he made us physical. That we're not just spiritual beings, but we're physical beings too. And in fact, If you're going to pray and work for God's name and God's kingdom and God's will, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you have food in your belly. Because you and I both know that without food, we won't last very long. And so this is a prayer, and I think it's a beautiful prayer, that God, what God is showing us is that he's actually concerned about our physical bodies. Because we can make this, there's this false view we can have where we say, where if I'm really religious or if I'm really spiritual, then all my focus is going to be on Him. And I'm not going to care about anything material, right? And that was actually a heresy in the early church, right? Where it said the spiritual is what matters. The physical doesn't matter. Not important. And the Bible comes back and it does say you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. It does say that. But it also affirms this, that your body does matter, that the physical does matter, that God wouldn't have created it if it didn't matter. And not only that it it matters, but that God loves to keep it going, right? That God longs to give us what we need in order to survive and thrive, okay? Because God made us that way. God cares about and loves us. Physical being. So I want you to ponder this, because this should humble us. That the, God, that the God who runs the universe, the God who, right, who, 
who keeps all of the planets in our solar system spinning around our sun, and he keeps our Earth at, a, at the exact distance, right? So it's far enough away that we all, we all don't burn up. Far enough away that we don't burn up. But close enough that we all don't freeze, right? He maintains that, okay? And he does that, who knows, how many, a billion times over for every star you see in the sky, Okay? That's what God does on a daily basis, right? Uh, the, God who's, the God who created and has seen the deepest parts of the ocean that we can't even get to because we would be crushed by the pressure. Um, that same God enjoys putting food on your table, right? That same, that same God, and, and think about all of, the, all of the processes that are involved in getting food to your table, because, again, I'm unaware of those daily graces. So, so those, um, those people who work closest to the food source, right, farmers, they would be the first to tell you that there is no guarantee that just because I put seed in the ground, I watered that seed, and the sun shone on that seed, and I even sprayed insecticides, there's not, it's not guaranteed that that's going to come out of the ground. There are a million things that could happen, right? It's no guarantee that God will make the ground fruitful, excuse me, that actually is guaranteed, but we'll talk about that in a second, right? That, that just through my effort, there is no guarantee that a tree is going to come out of the ground, that rain's going to come out of the sky, and that peaches are going to appear on the, on the ends of the branches. That's not, that's not a guarantee on my effort, right? Um, now, about that guarantee, actually, that's what God guaranteed to Noah. So every, every, time, you, every time you eat a peach, I want you to think about that. Um, that every, every time you eat anything, right, that what God guaranteed to Noah is that seed time and harvest would continue perpetually until the end of the world, right? And that means for, the, for, the, for people who believe in him and for people who don't. And so but what that tells us is that God is working in sun and rain. He's working through farmers. He's working through people who make boxes and bags that bring it to the grocery store. He's even, work, like, he's even working in the molecular biology and the photosynthesis that make it possible for the tree to produce fruit from sun. Okay? God is doing all of that. And so what we're prone to think, and this is why, like, we don't, this prayer kind of throws us off a little bit. Um, well, I worked for it. So, like, food is going to happen. Right? Right. I worked. Somebody gave me money. I went to the grocery store, and there was food in that grocery store, and I brought it home, and we ate it. Okay? And I am seldom amazed or stunned at the fact that a piece of chicken and a piece of broccoli and a chocolate chip cookie and a clean glass of water is sitting on my table. Right? So what this prayer teaches us to pray daily is, God, give us what we need. Right? Work through all of those complex webs that I could never understand that I could only make a dent in understanding, okay? Work through all of that and provide what we need. Uh, my friend Derek Thomas says, Every loaf of bread is a sign of the providence of God. Every loaf of bread is a sign of the providence of God. And it goes even further than that. If you've been around the church for a while or if you've been around Christians for a while, um, you may have heard this prayer right before a meal. God, would you bless this food that it would nourish our bodies, right? You, some of you probably heard that prayer. You probably even prayed that prayer. 
I've always thought that was a little odd. Right? Bless this food to nourish our bodies. Like, well, duh. It's food. It's going to nourish my body. But, y'all, that's not a guarantee. Even for your, even for your stomach and your intestines to correctly process that food so that it pulls out what is good and expels what is bad, even that is a work of God's daily grace. Even the ability to digest food so that your body actually is strengthened by it and not killed by it, that's called grace. And that's what we're praying for in this prayer. So think about that when you eat lunch today and when you thank God for the food, that in all of those dimensions, God is... God, God is providing for us. And then there's also a social dimension, and Martin Luther, uh, 16th century reformer, points this out. There's a social dimension to this prayer that not only are we praying this for ourselves, we're also praying it for other people. And in order for this to be true, in order for daily bread to be received, you need things like a good government that doesn't take advantage of its people. Right? So if you go, if you go south of the equator... If you go to many countries in Latin America or Africa that are racked by corruption, you will also find poor and starving people. Wherever you find dire poverty, I, I guarantee you, you will probably find corrupt government officials who are getting plenty of bread and giving their people none. So this prayer is a prayer against that, right? It's a prayer that employers would treat their employees fairly so that they can bring home what they need. And it's a prayer that employees would not game the system, right? Would not take advantage of, of their employers, right? So even, even in that, there's a, there's, a, there's a social dimension to this prayer in God providing what we need. God longs to provide our physical needs, and he wants us to ask for them daily. And he loves to meet them. Um, right? And this is, a, this is a daily thing. Jesus doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, Give us this month the bread we need, or give us this year the bread we need. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And that's because he, want, he wants us to live day to day. Now, to, to, to most of us, that sounds really terrible, right? Because if you've ever had to live day to day... And some of you do, and some of you have. If you ever have to live day to day, you're always worried about what's going to happen the next day. Is there going to be enough? And we live in a, in a world, right, the first world in, in a, the United States, where in some ways you actually have to live beyond today, right? Things like health insurance and life insurance. You pay for those because what you're doing is you're saying something may happen someday, and I need my wife and my children to have daily bread when they get to that day, if that happens. And so, when Jesus tells us to pray this day to day, it comes up against my desire to have the entire future planned out. And so, you know, it makes me ask the question, okay, how do I, how do I reconcile day-to-day prayer, like Jesus wants me to live day-to-day, trusting him every day to deliver what I need, right, but then the Bible also talks about responsible planning, right? Jesus himself even gives a story about a group of people who went to go build a tower, but they forgot to plan. 
And so they didn't finish. And Jesus says, uh, count the cost, right? So there's, the Bible says we should plan, and then Jesus says we need to trust God daily. So how do we reconcile those two? Well, let's, in a sense, what, uh, let, let's look at Matthew 6.25. Jesus spends a lot of time uh, later on in the chapter talking about this, and I think it kind of begins to answer this question. Jesus says this in Matthew 6.25, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then skip down there to verse 34. So I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you, oh, excuse me, sorry. Don't be anxious, verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what Jesus is saying is, stop worrying about whether you're going to have enough tomorrow and trust God for today. Stop worrying about whether you're going to have enough for tomorrow and trust God for today. How do I reconcile that desire to plan, the good planning, and trusting God for daily grace? Well, let's look at some of the reasons why we tend to be anxious about the future. First, this is a prayer. One of the reasons we might be anxious about whether or not God is going to provide is we may be praying for luxuries rather than necessities. This is not a prayer for luxuries. This is a prayer for necessities, right? This is daily needs, what you need to survive, okay? Um, and this is a problem that we easily forget in the 21st century. Uh, we joke, in our house, we, we jokingly call them first world problems, right? right where, where I get frustrated because the little handheld computer slash phone that, that connects me to the entire world and all of its knowledge won't work properly. While I'm flying through the air at 30,000 feet in a metal tube with wings, right? That's a first world problem. Okay, uh, the farmer in the Congo doesn't have that problem. All right, um, or when you get angry because that composite metal plastic dish that's mounted to your roof doesn't provide the adequate high definition TV signal to your widescreen TV. Okay, because in a rainstorm which, by the way, is being repelled from your house by the roof over your head. It's a first-world problem, okay? So when we pray this prayer, what we're doing is we're putting things in proper perspective, that this is a prayer for necessities, not luxuries. This is a prayer asking that God would provide what we need to survive, and what it ought to do is put everything else in proper perspective. Am I anxious? Am I anxious because I'm worrying about things? that I really don't have to worry about? Am I anxious about luxuries? Am I worrying about things? Is my heart divided over things that are really luxurious when in fact I have what I need, when I have the necessities? And then second, right, so that's kind of the first reason we can tend to be anxious and we don't pray this prayer. But second, we may be anxious simply because we're not praying for these things at all. Right? Let's be honest. 
at least I'll, I'll be honest with you, sometimes it feels a little bit silly to thank God uh, and to pray for to pray that God would provide food for my house. Why? Because I've always had it. It seems a little bit silly to me to ask God to provide something that seems to always be there. Right? I'm not, I'm not amazed at the food on my plate. And so often I just don't pray. And in some reality, I actually think I deserve it. Right? I deserve the bread because I work hard for it. And if I'm working for it, why do I need to ask God for it? Right? Now, maybe that's just me, but I think the reason that that we tend to be anxious, right, when Jesus says, don't be anxious about food, drink, or what you wear, and every single one of us in this room has been anxious about food, drink, or what we wear, and Jesus says, don't worry about it, because life is more than these things. Jesus knows that when we're anxious about it, our hearts are controlled by it, right? That the reason I'm worrying about food or, the, or really the reason that I'm worrying about clothing, what, whatever the daily need may be, is because my heart has been gripped by it. And I am now idolizing it, right? I am now worshiping it. It now holds sway, right? Bread holds sway over my life. That's what happens in anxiety. I don't know if bread's going to provide. I don't know if I'm going to have what I need. Am I going to get the clothes that I have to wear? And so what happens when we pray this? When we pray, God, give us today our daily bread, what we're asking for is, is for God to, to help us realize that he's the one who has lordship over bread. He's the one who has lordship over cotton so that we have clothes. And what happens is when we realize that, then little bit by little bit, we actually gain contentment. And when we gain contentment, anxiety loses its grip, right? When we realize that it's God who is in control and not some unseen force out there that I don't know whether I'm going to have food on my table or not, when we realize that it's God who's in control, what begins to come to us is contentment. And as we grasp contentment, as we become content with what God has given, those, those idols begin to lose their grip on our hearts, and we become less and less anxious. It's not an overnight process. It's a, it's a gradual process. But that's what we're praying for. We're praying, one, that God would provide what we need, right? That God would provide our daily needs, day in, day out. We want to live day to day, constantly aware that God is providing these things, but also this, that, that God would make us content with what he has given. That we would not disparage the good gifts. Right? Because as Jesus says, give us this day. Right? That implies that God is the one who gives it. We do not. We work for it. This is not a prayer that says stop working. Okay? Um, but it, it is a prayer that is saying through our work, God provides. Through the means of our work, God provides. Look, if you don't plant the seed or till the field, it may grow something, but it's probably not going to grow something you want to eat, right? But God is working through those efforts to provide what you need and what I need to survive. 
So we're praying that God would make us content. How do we apply these things to the gospel? That's a good question. God promised Noah that as long as the earth survived, these things would happen. And so and even, even, as God's, even as Jesus says, right, he makes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous, that God is kind to both. But here's the difference the gospel makes in this prayer. You can only pray this with confidence when you know that God is your Father and that He not only will He provide, but that He loves to provide. Right? That, he, that He's not sitting off somewhere going, God, the humans need food again. That's not our God. We have a God who rushes in and delights to provide. You can only say that if you're praying in Jesus' name. You can only say that if you're coming into the throne room of the Father through the work of the Son. That's the difference the gospel makes in this prayer. Otherwise, you don't have, you don't have any surety. Is God for me or is he against me? Is he going to provide or is he not going to provide? And what the gospel says is, yes, every time. God will provide. As David says in the Psalms, I haven't seen the righteous begging for bread. God loves his children, and God loves to provide for them. And the reason we know that is because we have, the, we have the word of the Son, and we can trust him. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we, we thank you for daily gifts. Daily needs that keep us alive. Daily, daily gifts that help us to thrive. Father, would you help us to acknowledge that these gifts are yours. That even the money earned from our work is yours. Because we would not have jobs. Indeed, we would not have skills. We would have nothing if you didn't give it. And so, Lord, would you restore to us a right perspective that sees you as the giver of all good gifts and that draws our hearts ever closer to yours. Father, and out of that, would you bring contentment, contentment with what you have given and then a gracious heart, just like yours, to give away the good gifts we have received. So Lord, our prayers that you would make that you would help us to recognize what you've given, that you would make us content, and then that you would help us give it away. To the praise of your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.